Piano, the tinkling of the piano. I piano. Yeah, an electric piano. This is our boy Rob Fusari playing this. Right. I love down. I am your professor, David Kirkville. This is Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio, WP 88.7. On election night plus one. Yes, the election is over and we are in, in shock. Day one. Incognito, in shock, in everything. Waiting for it all to wear off. Except for those who, well, well some, some of them are in shock in a happy way. Some are in yes. shock in a very sad way. 50% right. one way, 50% the other. We will mm -hmm. not take sides on this. And I must just add my two cents. Please get rid of the electoral college. And then please institute the electoral college in its that place. as well. Yes. <laughs> I knew I had an extra syllable, <laughs> but it's very late, right, middle right. of the week. Yes. Huh. Well, it really should be an electoral university, because I think it has higher standards than just a college. It's obviously an electoral community college. Yes. You hear this comedy that I'm ECC. giving to you? ECC. <laughs> yeah. The ECC, that's what that's what it is. Yes. All right, so we're Music Biz 101 more on uh, Bravery Radio WP 18.7. I am your professor, David Kirk Philp, along with my good friend, Dr. Esteban. Marconi. Yes, Dr. Esteban Marconi. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we're going to have a great guest for you tonight. His name is, do you, do you like this? Charles Batenza is our uh, student co-host. Hello, Charles. How are you? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Charles. <laughs> do you like this radio voice I'm using right yeah, now, Yeah, it's Charles? good. I've gone. You uh, should go for that. This all is uh, WKRP in Cincinnati radio right now. <laughs> That's what we're doing. For those of you who are 40 and up, you may understand the reference. But Charles Batenza getting his MBA in music management here at William Patterson University. Charles, thank you for being here. Yeah, and, of course, there is no glass to say behind the glass because she's sitting right next to us. But Jess Frank is here with us doing the production, creating amazing production value. Jess Frank, amazing. Without Here's glass. No, no oh. glass, yet she wears glasses. Oh. Yes, ah. I do wear glasses. Yes, yes. Also, do you, Marconi? Yes, I That's do. Right. And so does Charles. Yeah. I do not wear glasses. Nor have I ever had a cavity. Wow. Wow. Yes. You. Yeah, really? Yes. I've never had a cavity in you my mouth. You don't wear contacts? I don't wear contacts. Wow. And I Have your kids had cavities? One child had a cavity. Wow. Yes. So there we go. So there. That's this is important stuff. This is how you're going to make the Very music last. Brush uh, your teeth. <laughs> exactly. Just walk your chair. And, and uh, don't forget to floss. So our guest tonight, we're going to get to him in two seconds. Benji Rogers, founder, chief strategy offers Pledge Music, co-founder of Dot Blockchain Music Project, and also founder, investor, advisor of Radiary Creations, which I probably said incorrectly. Ra Would you say Radiary, Radiary? Probably depends on what your state you're from uh, and the color of the state. But uh, Benji's called in. Go to musicbiz101wp.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, the Facebook, at musicbiz101wp. And, of course, this is being recorded. If you're listening, thank you so much for listening to us on the podcast, available via SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. We want to give thanks real quick to the Music Biz Association. 
please save the date for May 15th through the 18th, 2017, when Music Biz, That Is Us, goes to goes to Music Biz, which is that in the Music City, which is there. That is Nashville. We will be there with a group of students interviewing industry pros, making connections. In fact, Benji Rogers was somebody who originally we were going to interview while in Correct. Nashville through our student uh uh, Carrie Revito, but mm -hmm. then Benji was not able to actually attend the conference, and he will be able to give us his take on that or not in a moment. But then after that, we want to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Sharon Jones, the Dap Kings, and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when it's good time for you and your band. And also we want to give thanks to Christine Vey, a wealth manager, and the president of Vey Wealth Management, Christine has helped many, 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 many of our professionals at William Patterson University and also professionals all around the world to manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. If somebody like you is looking for guidance on how to plan for your retirement, or if somebody like you has questions on anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance and retirement planning, please, I beg you, I am begging you. Give Christine a call. Charles, please repeat after me. 732. 735. 455. A 1 so, Benji, I'm Professor David Kirkfield. Thank you so much for being on tonight. We appreciate it. Thanks for uh, you and your assistant uh, working this out and being here, and thanks for calling in. Thanks for making it happen. Appreciate it. Yeah, very cool. So, uh, our good friend, our joint friend, Dr. That? I'm talking to Benji now. Okay. And the, the, a friend of Benji of mine is you. Ah. And we want to... Uh, Hand it off to you because you're now going to grill Benji on everything. <laughs> yes, everything. Uh oh. All right, Be Benji. Careful. I want to get. Hey, how's it going? Good. I'd like to get right into. Uh, I think what any listener would find difficult to understand right off the bat. And may I okay. quote from Dot Blockchain Music Project? Is the first attempt to use blockchain technology to create a global decentralized database of music rights for the first time wherein a song cannot be separated from its usage rights and still be played i think the first thing we have to talk about i would like to talk about and i hope you would too is blockchain technology we're sure. seeing it in a lot of places but people are scratching their heads absolutely um so so uh, I was scratching my head when I first heard about it as well, and um, I became interested when I started to sort of, you know, dig into why a bunch of extraordinarily smart people were trying to understand what, you know, the the underlying architecture of how a Bitcoin moved back and forth mm -hmm. didn't seem very interesting to me. Um, and then I started to read up on sort of where this this sort of decentralized um, uh, system came from, and it was, you know, the the, the Bitcoin blockchain, um, you, you know, is is the process that runs Bitcoin basically, and that was put on the internet by a woman, man, or group of people named Satoshi Nakamoto mm -hmm. about, about eight years ago, and it's currently carrying um, an eleven billion dollar market cap, which just went up from the election yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, and it did, it's, I think it's in a transaction volume of $100 billion. 
um, which, as we know from the size of the music industry, is quite sizable. And that's with a Bitcoin blockchain that can basically process 100,000 transactions per day. Um, it has around the same computing power as two of Google. Um, and this is all for something that was given away by, as I said, a woman man of people named Satoshi Nakamoto. So it almost feels too good to be true. And a lot of it is, um, is what I would say. But ultimately, what I became fascinated by was the fact that, you know, the women and men that I would work with in the music industry who would create this extraordinary music would just create an, you know, make it in a studio, create an MP3 or a wave and send it out into the world. And there was no way to sort of track where it went or what it did. And you could create infinite, an infinite number of copies of said song, but, which I don't have a problem with. But you, what you could do is you could alter the metadata which meant that the very DNA of the music itself could be mm -hmm. changed. Mm -hmm. So one of the wonderful properties of a blockchain is that when you write something into a blockchain, it can never be removed. Um, mm. So basically all of the computers running this chain of, of information anchor the, the whatever you write into a transaction in the blockchain forever. And so you can amend forward and add stuff to it, but you can't take away. So if you were to be able to say, you and I have written a song, and we're going to register that we've written the song, along with a copy of it, into the blockchain, and the receipt that says that we did it at this time and place was hard-coded into the song itself, then wherever that song went, you, could, you couldn't alter its metadata and it'd still be playable. And um, the reason that the blockchain was so important was because it was decentralized as opposed to centralized, which means that it's run by a network of, you know, thousands of computers, all processing, you know, the, all of whom have an identical copy versus today's music ecosystem, which has anywhere from 180 to 5,000 separate regular databases none of which speak to each other in a mm -hmm. common language, mm -hmm. none of which are interoperable. So it was a big task, but basically the idea was that when you're making a song, why can't you hard code who owns it and how to pay them into the song so that when you make a copy, at the very worst, that information is in there, or at the very best, you could limit the number of copies you can create digital scarcity and digital permanence. And we propose to do this via a, a new format that we call the .bc so that you wouldn't send MP3s or waves anymore. What you would send is MP3s wrapped in their data, um, readable, machine readable for those that you would share it with and those that would basically utilize it in the music ecosystem. Um, so it's basically a way of... of adding um, permission and obligation to the, to the song itself. And uh, just a, a brief note on decentralization. Um, you know, yesterday's election was interesting because it was accused of being rigged several times before. And you'll notice that one of the reasons that, that they gave for it being very difficult to rig the election was because it was a decent because the process of, of voting is a decentralized system. Mm -hmm. There's no one central place where it can go wrong, uh, so you'd have to hack thousands of places at once in order to make uh, affect the network. Mm -hmm. So a decentralized system has an immense power. 
to the fact that it's not, there's no one place to kill it. It always it always lives because you have identical copies of it in multiple places. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was a long answer for uh, what I hope may made made sense. Yeah, it made a lot of sense. I don't think it's totally clear yet. Uh, where does the song then get coded uh, with so, this so, information? So it can happen in multiple places. Um, basically, if you imagine the song as a Facebook photograph, right? Mm-hmm. So you and I are in the studio, and today I say, hey, send me a copy of the song. And what you would do is you would go export MP3, and send it to me via Dropbox or Gmail or you know whatever mm-hmm. that we use. And I can take that song and I can go Apple I and I can retitle it, change the artist, say that I wrote it and upload it to YouTube and you'd never know. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's nothing anchoring it back to that moment. In a .bc system, you would, when you go to export it, you would have to enter in what the artist's name you would have to enter in at least one writer, the name of the song, and then in sending that to me, you would it basically would upload a copy of it to the it would basically upload the, the, that, that data to the blockchain, and when and say that you'd sent it to me at this time and at this place. So at that moment is when it happens. The other time it could happen, and and so what you've done there is is you basically said this is who I am. This is one writer, one one performer and how to contact and pay them and this is what it's called and then you send it to me i can double click that and i can see that information we call that minimum viable data which means that i can then say hey i'm a writer as well and tag myself in it and when i tag myself in it you would say oh benji just tagged that he's a writer i agree with the split of 50 50 done if you disagreed we would have an argument we'd fix it and then when we fix it's added to the blockchain and then you could tag your publisher and your PRO and I could tag my publisher and my PRO and now all of a sudden ASCAP, BMI and Warner Chapel and Universal Music all reading from the same information because we encoded it at the song level versus going to a database to find that information it's there in a public blockchain basically a way to read ownership across the music space and the files themselves are it's basically using the same logic as, as a facebook tag which is you know who, who would tag a photograph hey the three of us are in a photograph i tag you and if you say yes that's me that's the truth if you say no that's not me then we argue about it and we can you know, remove the tag or keep it there if you ignore the tag it's the same thing as the truth this is largely what Tim Berners-Lee, when you know, sort of around the creation of the internet, was calling uh, the semantic web—a way of creating truth around songs and around you know, content and ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in its in its rawest form, that's the simple process flow. The other process flow is um, there's a desktop app, desktop application, which is sitting in GitHub right now, which is not not yet ready for prime time. It's still being built. But it would mean that I could take a song from my from my audio library. I could do a Spotify lookup and tag that, that this is the, a copy of it in Spotify. And then I could basically tag my publisher, my PRO, my label. And I've sent out a web of truth about that song. My label says, yes, that's me. My publisher says, yes, that's me. And Spotify doesn't dispute the tag. Then ultimately, that's where that is. 
and Spotify can double can look up on the blockchain and say, oh, this is who we pay, and this is how to contact them, versus you know having to pay other parties to the uh, other parties to try and figure out who owns the publishing and what. So it's a way of binding the data together. Mm. The key here is that you cannot put less than one writer, one performer, the song name, and uh, a copy of the song into it. So you will always have both sides of the coin needed to interact with that song. And the reason we chose that was because it's not that difficult to do uh, at, the, at the rudimentary level. Adding it later on is more challenging, but... What you got to remember is that when you add it to an older song, you can basically tag multiple parties to it, but they will also be searching to fix their information. So you fix it in one place at the song level, and then that broadcasts the changes to everybody who's reading the network. So if all the labels and all the publishers and all the PROs run a, a plug-in to this system, they can all view the same information without colluding work on it, A, and B, they can keep their business rules and all kinds of stuff private, but they can't keep ownership private. And that's really what, 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 the, what the kind of the key to the system is. Mm -hmm. It's using the best of a public blockchain um, with a decentralized system to create a marketplace around the songs themselves, because the songs basically become your digital gold. And that's, uh, that's how I think that they should be. Mm -hmm. So if you're an artist and you, you were to say, I do not wish for this song to be played at the Donald Trump rally or the Hillary Clinton rally. Where would you say that today? There's nowhere. What if that information were hard-coded into the song? In which case, whilst that wouldn't be legally binding, it would be a, an expression of intent. And I was always struck by the nature of copyright in the U.S., which is to fix in a tangible form a song. Um, what's tangible about an MP3 that you can alter? What's tangible an MP3 that lives in no database? Mm -hmm. You know, whereas if you were to say, I, I, you know, three parties to this song created it at this time and in this date, it was confirmed across a node, uh, a network of nodes, uh, you know, so 37 of them which corroborated that information at that time in that place. That's a tangible form, right? That's, an, that's, that, that's a, a, a way of doing it. So we're using this sort of idea of building truth and um, and verifiable data into the music itself, which means that artists, you know, it's very hard to say, oh, we don't, we didn't know who to pay, therefore it went into a black box. Nope, you know exactly who to pay, because you, <laughs> you couldn't have a copy of the song without knowing that. Right. So it's a big project. Um, and and, uh, and an open. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I'm just saying, are labels and uh, PROs and so on and so forth buying into this? Well, they, no one's made the leap yet. Mm -hmm. um, they are speaking to us all under condition of anonymity. Um, we have um, a bunch of them kind of involved in the project at various levels. Um, we have a public Slack channel that musicians and artists and publishers and viewers can all join. So a lot of them are in there in their Gmail, kind of you know, communicating with us in this way. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we anticipate having the first sets of plugins built for January of this year. The code was put in about two months ago and uh, into the GitHub, and then we're going to build phases two and three. Um, we've, the, 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 the challenges have been, A, explaining it to everybody, because <laughs> it's a big system, obviously, mm -hmm. and B, 
the way that we've done this, and this only actually occurred to me quite late in the process, was so if you take that Facebook analogy I gave you, mm-hmm. which is that if I tag you and you accept the tag, that's the truth. If I tag you and you ignore the tag, that's, that's the, the truth. truth. Yeah. If you dispute the tag, we fix it so we find the truth. Now, I as, a, I, as a writer who owned the publishing on one of my songs and had ASCAP as my PRO, if I state that into a public system and ASCAP chooses not to participate in that flow of information, then they're basically corroborating my truth. Mm-hmm. Because in an open network. So what we're saying is, is when the million songs that have been committed to the system already by, by multiple parties, PROs, labels, etc., start to propagate. We didn't go to the labels and publishers and say, hey, you know, um, do you want to play in this sandbox? What we said was, is, hey, a bunch of people are going to play in this sandbox in private. When they tag you, who do you want on your end to be the recipient of that tag? And do you want to build some infrastructure so you can handle it at scale if we put a million songs in, because whilst it's private and in the test net, we can we can work with you. We, we can you know verify your at sonymusic.com at Spotify email address. Mm-hmm. When it goes into the public, we don't have a way to do that, and you're going to have to fight for for your own space. You know, it's a bit like you know if you if you form a band, you need to get your band's URLs in shape, right? Same thing if we you know release a new node into this a new kind of party to the system. So that, that, that certainly changed the tone of the conversation from, hey, this sounds interesting, to, hey, you better make sure that, you, that, that, that we're involved when this thing goes, goes wild. So, um, so it, it's been a bit of carrot and stick, but what I will say is that the music industry has been extraordinarily gi- giving of their time. The CTOs that these companies have given us you know, lots and lots of time, and I think we're going to show the first sort of public fruits of that labor. Um, if all goes to plan by January, and that's including the building of pretty intense architecture around, you know, how to do this, because this is nothing like this has ever been attempted. Um, and the blockchain piece alone is complicated enough, let alone solving the the thorny metadata issues that the music industry has with a bunch of people who don't trust each other and don't speak to mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, well, that was my question with the... Um the revenue gatherers, uh, are they maybe concerned that they won't have a space in this, that they won't have a job anymore, that they won't have a role? Because this looks, um, sounds like it's so efficient that it's something in it, for American music, anything that we've needed for X amount of years. Yeah, um, uh, um, this we're not tackling in this phase payments or um, you know tracking, mm-hmm. we're basically just working on the registration layer, which is a big piece. So mm-hmm. there is room for PROs whose job it is to go and get you the best deals on cable TV and on um, you know uh, making sure that if your music is being played in the gym that you're getting paid for it and that those licenses are covered. There's definitely places for those players. Um, the you know the, the digital service providers like your Spotify's, your YouTube's, your SoundClouds may see an efficiency going direct to the song versus direct to the label but um that's between them to solve out to solve and not us the analogy i'll give you is is that um if you think about um 
uh, an email program like Outlook or Gmail or you know Yahoo Mail, etc. They all do different pieces on top, but they speak the same language, which is you know IMAP, uh, you know or POP3, mm-hmm. the the ways in which you know you can have a different you know um, uh, uh, email app on top, but the the words still get through, right? You know, um, we're treating music as that underlying protocol. So if you think of the blockchain as the ground, the protocol layer is the rail, and then the trains are, you know, the, the email programs around that. And the trains would be, so Universal Music or Sony or Warner's may have a plug-in that allows you to verify that you're a Sony, Warner, or Universal artist. Um, it, you know, we're not proposing to put payment terms in that in the next, you know, in the next little while. But obviously, if it does get efficient, then that could be something. But to be totally clear, there is no blockchain in existence that could handle a, a, a one hundredth of the transaction volume required for the music industry to solve the payment <laughs> side yet. Uh-huh. I would argue even a thousandth of it. So we, what we're doing is we're building this kind of early rail and this sort of this sort of way of working with the raw uh-huh. file formats, um, and then you know companies like IBM, Intel, um, you know Media Chain, and Ethereum who build these blockchains, and then propose to the users of the system, hey, this is why you should use our blockchain for payments. Hey, this is why you should use our digital fingerprinting technology. And much like you know an app store. Um, uh, exist for you know Android or, or um, iOS. That kind of a, a, a plug-in store would exist for .bc, so that you could choose the, the parties that you want to play with. So the ones that transfer the money are still going to do so in their way, but they're going to have a much much you know kind of you know greasier wheel than they had before because they're not going to spend time chasing um, you know. You know, we don't know who 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 yeah, the writer yeah. owns five percent. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the other side of that is, is if Ford wants to license a song, they may look into this architecture and say, "We're looking for a song that can be had for under ten thousand dollars that has these lyrics, this lyrical content in that is in this time signature and this key, and can be had and has a hundred percent of its publishing cleared." But they could also find the song and say, hey, we want to work with you. Only 75% is cleared. Please tag your other writers so we can sync this from you. Um, so you create an efficiency on that rail as well. Um, but, it, but you know, it's, it, it has to be at the file level because otherwise what happens is you just create another database. This is both a format that the music industry can own and can police and can propose to the outside world versus saying to YouTube or Spotify or all these companies, hey, here's my music. Please make sure that you police yourself and pay me correctly, mm-hmm. right? You mm-hmm. know, hey, YouTube, here's my music. Please make sure that you account to me correctly for everything that happens. Right. Um, you know, I don't know that they could do that. Um, and, um, it, you know, at certain times, it's not in these companies' interest to do that mm-hmm. because it's too costly or time-consuming. What I'd argue is if we create a format that they become compliant in and we as the music industry offer them that, then if they choose not to use it, we as artists and songwriters and publishers say to them, explain to me how knowing who to contact and how to pay the, the 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 
you know, creators of this song disadvantages your business. Explain mm -hmm. that to me. Mm -hmm. And there's no good answer. Yeah, <laughs> right. The truth, there's no good answer. So if we say, hey, check this database first, it'll never work. If we say, hey, you know, you know, go to the blockchain and look, that won't work. It's got to be, we delivered this file at this time and at this place. You were authorized for usage at levels that we wrote in code into the song. Why is there a bogus MP3 of it up there still? Explain that to me. Why mm -hmm. do you need that version when you've got the raw version? And then covers are added, and derivative works are added, and medleys mm -hmm. are added to mm -hmm. the top of it, and it all funnels down into that one sort of, um, uh, uh, you know, kind of genesis source file. Um, yeah. That's pretty cool. So I, I read yeah. something. No, go ahead. Um, something um, that you wrote on Medium, and uh, the, this blockchain, this code, this .bc code, it would not just include, let's say, the single release, but it would also include stems. It would also include, meaning the uh, individual parts of the song. Could it also include yeah. different different mixes? This so this code would just keep getting longer and longer, and it would have the uh, the mix produced by uh, you know Tim, Timba Timbaland or whatever. Oh, or yeah. you know, does, it, does it get like that? Yeah, yes. Okay. So essentially, if you, if you think of it as a change log, any change that happens to it is added to it, which means that in certain instances it becomes quite large. Um, and the reason for that is that, um, you know, uh, as we go into VR and we go into AR, they're going to require different usages for the songs, you know, putting a, 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 two, a, a, you know, a single song into multi-dimensional space requires a different way of working with the audio that you have to get you know permission granted to you so the 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 concept behind it is um you know if i were to send you a dot bc my options are i can send you a 100k file that basically says this is enough information and permission for you to unpack a version of it and that could be the MP3 to listen to on your personal system. It could be the MP3 to distribute to Spotify. It could be the stem tracks that, in order to be used for the, a remix. It could mm -hmm. also include the actual Pro Tools session information, which is a huge thing. And all it's doing is it's sending you this little tiny file with instructions to unpack it or reify it on your desktop. So. This is a desktop application, and it's a, it's definitely you know more of a in, in B2B at the moment, um, in which it's basically I'm sending you instructions on what you can do with it. The analogy is if you've ever opened up a Microsoft Word uh, Word file, like a DOCX file, where someone else has been working on it, and you can see all those changes. When they send that to you, you have permission to unlock those changes and view them. The same way that you can take a zip file. You're basically compressing it and then reopening it on the other end. Um, same principle around music. Um, and the difference is that the MP3 or the AIFF or the Wave or the FLAC, it gives you permission to do so when I when in the, in the send itself. In the same way that I could permission Spotify in to take the track the second it's ready. Um, if I if someone remixes it, um, uh, if, they, if they take a .bc file and they go to remix it. That would be known to the person whose whose music's been being accessed, and what we hope is that, that these files will begin their life with maximal expression. So you know, you know, available for use on YouTube and SoundCloud and UGC. Because in a in a world in which the attribution flows to the
the musician that performed on it to the engineer, the producer, the and you know the the, the tea boy or the coffee boy or girl in the room at the time. Um, if it's remixed and it starts to make money, that money flows back to everyone involved in the song in the long run. So um, you want maximal expression available, but you also may say, I don't want this to be available in you know cat torture videos or porn, and that's your choice. Mm -hmm. um, today, there's no way to state that other than to find them and then say, hey, take it down, yeah. um, or to you know hope you, YouTube does that if if they're if they're looking. Um, but uh, but because not everyone can access content ID, um, it's impossible. So yeah, I was, um, I, was yeah. I was trying to uh, make a comparison to Creative Commons when I was starting yeah. to process this, and this was the the piece that sort of related to it uh, that there would be this choice and this permission to do what you want with it, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and and and, well, and what it could state is anyone can do with this whatever they want, um, up to ten thousand uses. Mm. And after ten and and after ten thousand you know uses, I want to be monetized at this level. And again, these aren't legally binding at this point. This is just you know right. the theory of what the code could do. Mm -hmm. But what I view this doing um, is creating a a. a a runway in which these songs can really take flight because what you're what you're really doing is is if you code permission and obligation into the song itself what you're really doing is is you're saying um you're saying here is the raw files to work with or here is the mp3 or wave do exactly what you want i'm giving you permission and your obligation is if it reaches a monetizable level of ten thousand dollars i want a quarter of a penny per hundred streams. You can write that into the code itself. Mm -hmm. There'll be an entire industry based around building really cool, smart contracting ideas, um, uh, which I think could be, you know, just an amazing whole other business. Yeah. Um, uh, which doesn't exist today, and 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 so it's really as cool as you can think of it. It can be done. You can create a limited edition of one thousand copies of a digital song. And that's really cool, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, if if your if your goal is to is to, to break it, I mean, obviously you can break pretty much anything. But what you couldn't do is break. Well, it'd be very difficult, almost impossible, to break the kind of data out of the blockchain because that's that's sort of you know it was built by hackers, so it's uh, it's certainly an interesting one. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, <clears throat> I just have a quick question: how how does blockchain <clears throat> benefit the DUI? DIY artists like myself who may be on TuneCore or CD Baby, like what would I do to use this? Because it seems interesting. Yes, yeah, so, so so we've been having conversations with the with the DIY because I'm a DIYer myself, and I'm I'm both a TuneCore and a CD Baby user. Um, so I know this very well, and I've spoken with the, with the TuneCore and CD Baby teams about this. Um, you know, um, basically what you would do is you would you would in theory say this is my song. CD Baby is how I choose to access all the digital service providers, and you would you would request, you know, you would tag CD Baby or you tag TuneCore in it, and their job is to say, yep, that's that's we've got you, we've linked up that ID, and we will now put that song out onto all the digital service providers for you, because the DSPs aren't going to have that on ramp at this point to be able to take direct ingestion. I don't think they would want it. 
So um, the way that I, and I built this for that DIY artist, because basically what you have in this system is the same power as a major label or a major publisher to express your truth. And also what it means is if you, the more data you add to the file, the more readable it becomes and the more usable it becomes for the for uses that you may never have thought of. You know, so if a if a um, a, che- uh, a um, uh, you know a Taiwanese commercial is looking for something, they can go straight to this you know database, look for songs that meet that that quality, mm-hmm. and they can go, ah, oh, it's distributed through. This is the song we want. They can contact you directly, or they can go straight to iTunes and they can double tap and find all the information within it. And they can, you know, they can unpack it all. And so, if there's missing pieces of information required to sync the song, they can contact you. Um, whereas today, if you put your music up on iTunes, how do they contact you? Mm-hmm. If they hear it and like it, how they if they, if they hear you on Spotify, then they have to Google you, they go to your website, probably hit an intro at email address, that type of thing. And it's a very slow, laborious process. Um, and most, you know, VR companies aren't going to have time. They're going to want to, like, just, uh, we, need a, we need a ton of music that does X, Y, and Z. This is how much we can pay. Give us machine-readable contracts. And, and you know, mm-hmm. once we've paid you, then we'll still start to use it. Um, so it's, it's just reversing that. You could also state, for example, if you were to create a .bc, um, uh, of your music, you could say, "Hey, you know, this song is available in X, Y, and Z usages without contacting me. Mm-hmm. Um, just mm-hmm. pay, and then it's done. And there's a direct path to you. And that's really the power. Is is that you know, and the blockchain is just basically saying that this happened at this time and at this place, um, and it's there to resolve the conflicts. If today, if you were to fix your metadata in one song, let's say." You'd have to re-address it in TuneCore and CD Baby. That's not going to change any other file out there. Yeah, It's only going to change that one point. And then you're going to re-upload it to iTunes, means your play counts go away, re-upload to YouTube, you know, on and on. It's just a, it's a, it's a never-ending game of whack-a-mole. Mm-hmm. Whereas if there's one file from which all of them read, you've got an immense power there. Um, and so just so, so to give you the... the um, the specifics of how it works. Uh, tomorrow or the next day, depending on if the coding's done, we're going to release a queuing system, which basically means any artist that wants to be involved can go to .blockchainmusic.com. They can uh, sign up for the email list and you know write in, you know, I want my music in this system. And there'll be a, a, a kind of a, a portal to, to do it. Um, and then you can basically say, hey, I want to you know, upload my entire catalog and turn it into .bcs. And we're going to basically take in all the raw data, help you process it, and then kind of push it out and say, there are your .bcs. That's going to happen the next, hopefully this week, if not next week, um, so that we can start to get these raw materials in and figure out what they're going to be tagging. Mm. Um, so it'll be a chance to kind of do it once, fix it there, and then it's fixed everywhere. That's sort of the goal. But obviously, there's been you know close to a million songs committed, so we're having to queue it um, uh, by you know who's got sort of the best, most accessible data because it's very difficult to uh we're going into a bit of a messy messy patch in this which will be uh, that's that's what you do when you're building new technology but we made the decision to ship this quickly and to put something out there that people can poke holes in and play with and and you know we wanted to get as much wrong as possible early 
but when it starts to grow, we're building on a really strong foundation, and we require, you know, the help and um, and goodwill and, and participation of uh, the artists. You know, the artists are absolutely um, vital. Charles is going to read a tweet question for you. Okay. Oh, excellent. <clears throat> yeah, this question is from Taylor at XO Taylor MM. Um, she asks, <clears throat> do you think that blockchain-based platforms will, will ever be the standard for the industry as a whole? Why or why not? Um, yes, I do. Um, I think that blockchain is, blockchains, there'll be many, there'll be many blockchains. So, you know, in, in the, um, uh, we, we, as, we as consumers probably won't know that they're there. Um, but what we'll be able to do is when we vote, or when we send the bank transfer, if we ever doubt anything, we would look in a public ledger to see, hey, that's my transaction that happened, that's the truth. Um, right now, every major company in the music space is looking at blockchain technology. They've got teams kind of assigned to this. Um, and in the same way that when the internet was first being you know, you know, put out there, um, the music industry was, of course, slow on it um, uh, in certain ways. And so the first internet, you know, music conferences that were kind of introducing the internet, um, uh, there were four or five people in the room. Um, and last year when we did the first blockchain conference, uh, blockchain, you know, kind of panel of the music conference, there were four people in the room. Mm -hmm. and one of them came up to me and said, this is what the internet was like when it was being introduced, right? It was like, you know, oh, it sounds cool, but what the, what the hell is this thing? Right. And so I think in answer to the question, um, you, you as a consumer probably won't know it's there. It'll be like this underpinning layer. But we as, but as a creator, as a, as a performer, I think every major label, every PRO, every publisher, um, every bank, every insurance document, every loan document, um, uh, you'll track the provenance of the food that you eat. All of it will be tracked on these various blockchains where you can sit there and say, hey, this label says it was, it, it, the, 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 this, you know, carrot was past due, uh, the, the, you know, is it, good to eat, but yet this blockchain record says that it's seven weeks old. So can you explain that? Because basically you, you can, by creating this kind of digitally permanent record, you can see when it left the farm, when it left this on, you can check those points and no one can mess with that record. It's, it's a very odd way of looking at it but um i believe that there's no going back <laughs> once it's once it started mm -hmm. okay um we have another question from samantha shank at elise shank um uh, quick quick thing so uh benji this uh tweet that charles is going to read to you is something that uh samantha you and i had some back and forth with uh this morning oh okay so you might know of this one already um what are some of the good resources available that can give an in-depth explanation of blockchain yeah. technology? Yeah, um, so, so I sent over one. If you want to just a kind of general primer on it, the, the, the book that really got me to it was a book called um, Digital Gold by Nathaniel Popper. Really, really superb um, uh, kind of introduction to, to how blockchains work and, and to the underlying technology. Um, there was also an amazing paper um, written by a lady named Melanie Swan, M-E-L-A-N-I-E, Swan, um, and it's called Blockchain Blueprint for a New Economy. 
that's a real deep dive and that's where my brain started to explode with the possibilities of what this technology will will be able to do um, but that, that's a that's a way more of a deep dive um, and then the other thing is is um, you know look for some of the founders of the, the the early kind of users of, of the blockchain, they write amazing blogs. It's now become a very, very competitive uh, industry. Um, the Winklevoss twins, you know, the ones that, that sued Mark Zuckerberg for Facebook, etc. they've got a big um, uh, thing you know, on it. And their South by Southwest um, talk, I think it was last year, is very, is excellent. Kind of the way that they the way that they sort of broke down why it is how it is was very, very cool. And then there's um, uh, D.A. Wallach wrote a great piece on it as well, which he published in Medium, as does um, George Howard from Forbes writes some great mm. articles on it. So it's kind of just dig around, but for a general overview of sort of how it works and the, the kind of the key players, and it is it is a soap opera when you read it. Um, uh, uh, Digital Gold and the Proper is an excellent book. But you actually wrote a really great two-part piece on Medium one called How the Blockchain and VR Can Change the Music Industry. There's a part one and a part two. And that is actually a really good, uh, understandable way to understand what this is all about. Because I was reading, I yeah. read part two before I read part one, but um, oh. which is probably the wrong thing to do, but, but I got it, you know, and, it, and it, was, it was very well done, and you're very good with the metaphors. Oh, thanks. I'm, 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 I appreciate that. Yeah, part one was when we were going to basically create a new codec, um, that was my original idea was to create a codec around it, which was like so you would you would no longer have MP3s and waves. But after speaking with multiple parties to the industries, I um, I iterated that down to this kind of bundler format, and that was when I met Chris C, who is the, the the technical architect of it, who kind of translated those words into actual code, which was amazing. Mm. Um, and then you know, the other members of the team, you know, Alan Bargfried, who helped with the legal side and, and who's, you know, part of day-to-day. -day. Bill Wilson, who's part of Music Biz, I heard you're talking about, you know, that. Yeah. So Bill, um, he's one of the signing members of the team. And then the great Ken Umazaki, mm. who, um, uh, you know, was involved um, in the standardization of the derivatives market back in the day. Right. Um, he's sort of been helping with the consensus and business end. So we're a motley team. We have one meeting per week on Thursdays. We've never all been in the same room at the same time together yet. Mm -hmm. um, and we're building this basically mornings, uh, lunchtimes, evenings, the weekends um, with, with one set meeting per week. So it's, 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 a, it's a big job, but it's, it's come together really well because we're all sort of obsessed with this notion that we, the music industry, can offer, and, and the artists and performers and writers, can, if we offer our work on our terms, we can become a, um, a meaningful cog in the machine, that, in, in, in this kind of infrastructure that scales to the size of Facebook and YouTube, etc., because they're building these massive platforms on our digital gold but we aren't seeing the full kind of reward from that. And I think that if we get this right, we stand on an equal footing with them and you can create something wonderful. And if they want to use it, you can negotiate at, at you know, eye to eye versus uh, please do the right thing with my music. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We have about 10 minutes left and uh, we should really get in a little bit uh, to talk about pledge music and this artist, the fan 
system that you have. You want to explain a little bit of why you think Pledge Music is a little different than several of the others that are out there? Sure, I'd, I'd love to. So, so basically, eight years ago, I had the idea for Pledge. Um, I was uh, I was living on an air mattress in my mom's spare room in London, <laughs> and I I, I had um, uh, I was I was experiencing what the what the what the whole city would call um, the, the the crushing low. Um, uh, you know the massive highs and the crushing lows, and basically I had this idea that why um, when when a fan buys my CD, I get money, which is awesome, but I don't know who they are or you know where they go. They just buy it and then they kind of disappear. And that was when CDs were quite big, you know, about nine years ago, eight, mm -hmm. eight, eight years ago. And I was building a huge network on MySpace at the time. I mean, I had bots that were kind of helping me get there, and I was, you know, using other people's walls, and I was actually getting, you know, revenue out of it. And it suddenly occurred to me, as I was about to go in the studio, you know, because I was $48,000 in debt to my last project, still, mm -hmm. it wasn't going well. Um, <laughs> why can't the fans support me in the making of it by pre-ordering the album? and unlocking behind-the-scenes footage just for them while it's being made. And I figured that maybe, you know, 5% of the, the fans would enjoy that experience. And I also saw streaming coming, and I was like, because what will happen is pretty soon they won't buy my CD, they'll just stream my music. So if I pre-sell it to them, A, they don't know if it's going to suck or not, so they, they can't judge it right? because they haven't heard it yet. B, if they're into it enough to where they want to participate, they'll probably spend more to kind of get the signed vinyl, the test pressing, the poster on and on. Yeah. And also, I didn't want it to be straight crowdfunding like you would see on Kickstarter, but then there were other platforms. One was called The Point, which became Groupon. Mm -hmm. The other one was, was um, uh, a couple of other ones which were really more about the funding mechanism. I was more obsessed by this concept of pre-ordering to unlock access um, so we we launched as a sort of a, a kind of early version crowdfunding platform and quickly pivoted to hiding the financial goal. And what we found was when you hide the amount of money being spent, people spent more, hmm. um, and they and they they love to drive it up to a hundred percent. I want to be the one that pushes it to ninety nine from ninety nine percent to a hundred, and um, so we started to build and build and build this this platform. Um, and it was basically, you know, two of my best friends in the world uh, building it. A guy I met in a bar in Amsterdam uh, after a show um, who was a lawyer, and he was one of the original co-founders. And then we hired a record executive named Malcolm Dunbar of the UK to kind of join the founding team and bring the music industry. And what we found was that if you offered someone an album they'd never heard and and the ability to buy a signed copy of the vinyl or the CD um, a year before it happened, they would spend an average of $55 per transaction and that they would keep spending and participating until release. So crowdfunding was you've got 30 days and if we don't make $8,500, yeah. it's dead. And I didn't like that model because it was about money, not music. Whereas if you say pre-order the album and it takes a year, but you get to watch it, then that's really engaging because then it's up to you as the artist to engage that fan. And what we found with these, these updates they were doing were generating revenue, unlike anything I'd ever seen. 
so to launch the platform, I walked into the studio for the first time in profit, and everyone had been paid. And I was like, why wasn't I doing this all along? Why have I been going into debt to make music when fans will gladly pay? And, and as the platform evolved and got bigger and we got more artists, we started to do it for major labels and for large indies. And, you know, we had about, I think it was about 130 top 20 albums globally last year. Um, and this year, I think we're going to hit about, about 200. We've, we've, you know, we're doing everything from Robbie Williams, which is one of the biggest artists in the UK, to, sure. you know, Queen, to, um, uh, you know, brand new artists emerging from the studio. And then the global goal for the company I always had, you know, and I've, I've moved to two strategy office and we've, we've hired an amazing CEO named Dominic Pandisha. The global goal I always had was that the user base would get so big you know, through the acquisitions of Noise Trade and Central FM, that now we can reach, you know, over 3 million people. So if you're a brand new artist and you drop into our pond to make your first EP, we will introduce you to fans who bought music similar to you in the past so that they'll actually take a chance. And what we're finding is that 33% of, um, of our users, of our, of our artists, Revenue our artist pre-orders are coming from our inbuilt user base because we have, we have a recommendation engine mm. based on genre type, product type, and location. So my the, the goal of the company for me has always been um, that once there's enough users, that first hundred to two hundred orders can come from strangers um, to your new project if it's great, if they love it and fall in love with it, and they can take a chance on the demos or the early stuff. So. Um, the, the large artists serve to help the smaller artists get exposure because, you know, obviously throwing a massive artist database at this is, is kind of easy. It's, it's not easy, easy, but it's, it's easier. But really, I want to get it so it's big enough to where we are trusted enough to make the recommendation on this brand new singer-songwriter from Boise, Idaho. Mm. Uh, check them out because you bought you know, these five other things. Right, almost, and uh, that's been a huge, long process, but that, that's, that's really the goal. It's a, almost an, an Amazon model. Yeah, it's that an is, Amazon model, but, but, but with one key difference, which is that on Amazon, you don't know who's buying. They do. Yeah. Whereas on Pledge, all of the data belongs to the artist. Uh-huh. So, um, you, so if we do a bad job and you don't like us, you can leave with every piece of information on your fans that you had. And we never shut your account down, and you can always re-message them through it, or you can take the data, literally export it all, email address, address, phone number, etc. Because um, I, 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 when MySpace changed their rules on me, I lost access to 150,000 fans. Mm. Never get yeah. them back. Yeah, because that was my only tie, and I vowed that no artist that I ever worked with would have that same problem uh, uh, through our technology. So, you know, when you export your, your, your stuff out of Pledge, you take it all. Because um, that's, that's your, your other digital goal, is, is the information on your sure. fans. Well, we've taken a lot out of this. We actually have to, unfortunately, we have to stop. Yeah, because, too uh, good. Yes. So someday, Benji, we're going to have to get you back. We'll have to get with you and find you because there's a ton of stuff, a ton, literally 2,000 pounds of information we still need to get from you. So would you be open to coming on again someday in the future? I will, I will, I will, I will commit to it right now. Wow, that yeah. is a right, verbal right. commitment. Great. We'll send you a, a blockchain request. So <laughs> right. We'll make sure that it, the, the actual uh, transaction is included. But Benji Rogers of Pledge Music and Dot Blockchain Project, thank you so much for being Great. on, Benji. Great.
great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks again. Take care, you guys. Take care now. And uh, uh, say hello to Don Gorder when you go up there, too. I certainly will. Good friend of mine. Okay, and uh, we, bye-bye. Thank you. We want to thank Charles Batenza for being here sure. and, and, and doing what he does. Thank you, Charles. We want to thank Jess Frank for doing her production because she really did provide value. Production value. My head is job. exploding. Yes. I'm glad this is going to be a podcast because people can go My in just a couple weeks. Go to literally. SoundCloud. Go to iTunes. We're all going to have to listen back to this. We There's, have a show next week. Next week, we have a show. We Warner have Chapel, Vice President of A&R. Jake Ottman. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got to thank Paul Sinclair for that hookup. Paul Sinclair, yeah. our, our best friend. So thank you, Paul. Thank you, uh, Dr. Esteban Marconi. Thank you very much and for being here And also my tonight. co-host, Professor David Kirk Phil. Who is I? Who is me? That is me. I am that person. And at the end of every show, instead of saying hello, you know what we say? We say, adios! <laughs> You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more.